I have a lot of clarity around why I think I'm on the planet at this time as this body. And it's because I think I'm here to connect people to people and people to resources to better the outcomes for all of them. So connection really is the common thread. Welcome to the... (laughs) No, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, How about this? No, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. In this episode, I interview Dara Brewstein, without a doubt, one of the most inspirational people I know. She's written books, started companies, and is frequently published in major publications. And her Instagram account, well, you'll just have to check it out for yourself. I dig into how she got her entrepreneurial spirit, what's next for her, and how she gets it all done. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So I am on this mission to get to know and meet people who inspire me and who I feel like are using their skills and their superpowers to make the world a better place and um, see if I can reverse engineer and and figure out why they became who they are. So today I have uh, somebody who I have gotten great inspiration from uh, through social media, which, you know, is probably the only person that I feel like I get that from maybe Terrence Lester as well. But Dara, tell everybody who you are and what you do. You know, it's funny. Well, one, you're speaking my language. And two, you're very kind. And then three, the hardest question of all questions for to answer is what I do. (laughs) So thanks for lobbing me the one that most people would be like, oh, no problem. Um, What I do is a tough one. So let's see. I have a lot of names and hats. I'm a three-time founder, an author, a begrudging coach, meaning never wanted to be one, but was called to be one. (laughs) number of other things. My quick backstory is I started a credit card processing company 11 plus years ago with my twin brother, wanted to sort of rectify the horrible nature of that business and treat business owners more kindly and fairly. I started a networking events company by accident nine years ago called Network Under 40 and then subsequently Over 40. Because again, I saw something that was just massively wrong in that space where people were networking in transactional manners. And I wanted to help people build real relationships by being who they actually are, not who they thought people needed them to be. And grew that into about 30,000 people who've participated in our events across a number of cities, wrote a children's book on financial literacy, because why not? (laughs) Really, actually, because we had the recession and I felt like it was critical information people were lacking. And then on the coaching front, just a couple of years ago, I had a deep inner calling that just said to me, there's a new incarnation of your career on the horizon and you better go figure out what it is and do it. 
which for anyone who's felt that before, you know how annoying it is that you're like, oh, things are going so well. Why do I have to go do something else? Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of excavation internally to unearth, but it was teaching and sharing about what I had done to design my life, build a business to fund it and a network to support it. And that turned into coaching, even though I never wanted to be one. <laughs> you, and, but, but you enjoy being one now. I love being one. I really, much like in all the industries, I think there's a pattern for me that I find myself in spaces where people have really bastardized the space, <laughs> like credit card processing and networking events or financial finances, and that I want to come in and sort of be the Robin Hood. And I don't do it by design at first all the time, but I just find it to be a pattern about why I am where I am. So yeah, now I feel very lucky to do this transformational work with people, both in their lives and their businesses. I sort of sit at the intersection of life coach and business strategist. So I see a thread that kind of weaves its way through all of those things, but I also understand why it's so hard for you to answer that because <laughs> because there's not a a, a a logical thread, but I'm guessing it has to do with your purpose. Do you have a defined purpose statement or at least a semblance of what that is? Yes and no. I have a lot of clarity around why I think I'm on the planet at this time as this body. And it's because I think I'm here to connect people to people and people to resources to better the outcomes for all of them. So connection really is the common thread. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. With that backdrop, (laughs) let's rewind. Now you're in Atlanta now, yeah? Yes. Welcome to my office. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, (laughs) Tell me, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Philadelphia and then in Baltimore and then came to Atlanta when I was 18. For, is that Emory you went? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And then you've never left or did you leave? I didn't officially ever leave. Uh, Pre-COVID, I traveled about 50% of the time and worked from wherever I was, which was a really big part of the life that I chose to intentionally design for myself and the businesses that could work in that capacity. Mm-hmm. However, I haven't officially ever moved from Atlanta. Okay, gotcha. You think you're here to stay? I think so. Actually, my fiance and I are building a house, so oh, we're not going okay. for a while. And I drug him here, not really dragged. He was really excited from Brooklyn, so we're committed. It, building a house seems like a pretty big commitment for you. For me, with him, or in general? No, no just in general, because it seems like you go, all right, I'm going to hack this. I'm going to hack, you know, networking. I'm going to move to children's books. I'm going to move to whatever. You think you're going to be able to maintain staying in one place for that long? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're actually, we bought an Airstream during quarantine, so we haven't, oh, stayed, so, and we still won't. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. All right. So you have a twin brother. Mm-hmm. Any other siblings? I have an older brother as well. Wow. I, I was going to peg you as an older child. And then I was just going to ask, well, if it's just you and the twin, did you at least, are you at least a second or two older? But I well, guess- your point is pretty valid. In fact, I am a big believer in birth order and how that impacts people. And our upbringing made it so that I was sort of the youngest, the middle and the oldest at once. And what I mean by that is my older brother was, he is how many years older than me? Four years older and four grades. I was three years older, but four grades older. And when he was in sixth grade, so when I was basically in second grade, he went off to boarding school and oh, okay. went to boarding school. And then he moved to Japan for a decade and also went to college interspersed in that time frame. And so we always joke that he was my long distance cousin. <laughs> and he subsequently moved to Atlanta when he got married and they had their kids here. And so suddenly we got to be in the same place again for four years while he lived here. But that made me sort of the elder child because my twin is three minutes younger. So while we're the same age, he's yeah. technically younger, but I was, you know what I'm saying? So the birth order was silly in my house. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause it, cause it, you feel like with the entrepreneurial spirit, the, 
I, I want to get to later, but like, I'm sure the work ethic is there. Seems like a responsible young person. Uh, yeah, there's funny stories about that, actually, because my twin and I being business partners now for 11 years, so many, so much of the writing was on the wall when we were kids about our dynamic and our ways that we could balance our unique strengths and weaknesses together. And there's this time I always remember where, do you recall when you were in elementary school? I don't know if you went to public school like I did, but we always had to sell fundraiser goods. Like you'd have yeah, to sure. and yeah. sell candy and wrapping paper and popcorn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my brother was tremendously like really shy, <laughs> like afraid to talk to a fly. And I was not. <laughs> so <laughs> my parents would say, well, you have to go out and sell with him. So figure it out. We don't want him to come home empty handed. So we lived in this neighborhood outside Philadelphia. We lived on a horse farm. So like houses were far away from each other. <laughs> and we had to walk a long distance to go from house to house. And I would leave him at the end of a long driveway and take his sales sheet and go up to the door and sell for him. And then the next house I would sell for myself and then for him and then for me. And we came back and we're both quite successful. And he just was my backup support, which now, as you might have guessed, I do biz dev and and all of the op, like all of the business like ideation, and he does all the operations. <laughs> nice. So did you did you get a commission at least on his wrapping paper that you no, sold? I learned my lesson early on. You got to ask for your cut up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there's interest occurring on that. You should remind exactly. it. Um, okay, so so I get you. You came down to Atlanta. You went to Emory. Did you get a degree in finance? No, I went in thinking I was going to study business and photography. And then learned that I wasn't going to study those things and decided to study things I enjoyed and would set me up to just be more curious. So I double majored in religion and Italian. Wow. Yeah. Religion and Italian. Very practical. And then you joined a finance company? Well, I actually started my career in fashion. <laughs> so next obvious clear step. First Jewish female pope was going to be what I was going to do with the right. degrees and then going to fashion. So yeah, I the thing that happened for me was when I graduated, I remember going to career services and saying, I want to go into fashion. What do I do? And they're like, we have no idea. No one has ever asked us that here before. <laughs> so I was sort of left to my own devices. And the only reason I knew I wanted to go into fashion was because people kept saying to me, do what you love and mm -hmm. the money will come. And I thought, well, the only thing I know I love at 22 is fashion. So lo and behold, I found a job in fashion and worked for a designer out in LA and did it from Atlanta and realized it was not the thing I wanted to have a career around. And sometimes your hobby should stay as such. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, okay. So as you then, was, was it right after that you started the company with your brother? No, I spent the next three years. Well, I guess it was really two years because it was the first three years out of college that I was a disaster. I <laughs> floundered, I failed, I had so much go wrong. I graduated in 2006. So uh, that company, the reason I left the fashion industry was one, I knew in my heart of hearts, it wasn't for me, but I didn't leave at my own choice. I got really comfortable and I was like, I'm good at this. For example, they said, sell a million dollars in product in your first three years. I did it in 10 months. And I thought, well, I'm good at this and I don't know what else I want to do, even though I'm not happy here. It was a really unhealthy environment. I knew I couldn't grow beyond that. There were actual limitations for a number of reasons. And so I was like, well, what do I want to do? But as a lot of people probably can relate, you just get really stuck in the comfort. It's that sort of golden handcuffs, even though the handcuffs were not gold, they were not anything close to that. It was not a well-paying thing and there was nothing great about it. Just pretty close. And 
when that happened, or so basically the company went under and it went under about a week before Christmas. And this was also exactly three months after I had bought a house at the ripe old age of 23, because I had a restraining order against my landlord. So all of a sudden I've been flung into the real world and I'm thinking, is this what being a grown up is? <laughs> like restraining orders and mortgages you're afraid to foreclose upon and losing your job and all this crazy nonsense. And so for the next two years, I took on other jobs in a number of industries, but this is now as the recession is coming to a you know full-fledged thing and all of the jobs would either go away because the businesses would go under or they were cutting back. And I started to think, well, okay, I've just spent three years losing three jobs. And a lot of my friends are just on these clear defined paths to things like law or being doctors, or they just knew they wanted to be consultants. And I had no idea. And that was when I finally stopped and said, okay, if the things people are telling me to do aren't working, what do I actually want to do? And so I started really dissecting what it was that I had heard as narrative and just asking myself, is this really what you believe or do you believe it because everyone put it on you? So for example, that I had always known I wanted to start a business, even though I didn't know what the business was. But then the message I kept being told was, you're just an entitled millennial who can't wait her turn and you need to be more patient and climb the ladder. And I thought, well, the ladder keeps getting knocked out from under me. So, and it's not because I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing well. Like we talked about the million dollar sale thing. So it wasn't for those reasons. And I just realized maybe this is actually a blessing in disguise. And this is what's going to set me on the path to take the leap to start something that I would have been too afraid to do from the comfort of a quote unquote stable job, which is when I decided neither is more stable. And I wanted to take the reins and when I was 25, my brother and I started the credit card processing company together. Gosh, I could ask a, a million questions based on the, <laughs> the couple minutes you just said there, <laughs> the uh, the whole thing with your landlord. But I, I, I want to know, um, was there somebody or some influence in your life that was telling you it was okay to question the status quo of success that, you know, you don't have to worry about what everyone else is doing, that you can do your own thing. How did you get to that point at such a young age? Kudos to you. No one has ever asked me that question. And it's an interesting one. Not directly is my answer, meaning there wasn't a close mentor or person in my life who was actively saying that, but I was able to see it through. Like, I, I think that there's multiple styles of mentorship. I think there's five, in fact, and one I consider to be mentorship from afar, where you can watch how people do things. You can digest what they put out into the world. And now more than ever in the uber digitalized world that we live in, whether it's through social media, through books, people write through their podcast, through you name it, you get to be mentored by them from afar. And so I think because I had always been a growth oriented person to the point where this is a funny joke amongst my high school friends, they would be on the beach reading us weekly. And I was reading rich dad, poor dad <laughs> and things of that nature that I had always been ingesting that type of mentorship, even though I didn't know these people. And I think that buffet of information just gave me some sort of foundation to say, there's something more here than just the, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a job happily ever after. And then once I debunked that myth with my life looking like it was in shambles, I was like, there's just got to be a better way. Mm. Like the ultimate yeah. entrepreneurial saying, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But you've never stopped saying there must be a better way ever since that moment. With no, all the things you described. Why not question, you know, like, I think that so many people get stuck in the status quo of their own life, which is unfortunate in a lot of cases, like you get to be the engineer of your life, you get to decide a lot of the circumstances. And 
this taken out of context could sound tremendously privileged. And I also embrace the fact that I had opportunities and circumstances that not everyone does. But that to be said, no matter one's circumstances, to continuously question just, are these choices things that I want? Do I really need to do that? What are these narratives in my head? And so on and so forth, on and on. Or is this still the thing that I want? I mean, I would still be running the credit card processing company full time if I didn't keep asking those questions. But I hit a point around year eight where I thought, I don't want to keep my foot on the gas of this anymore. I want to maintain it. And that's when I made sure the business was systemized enough that I could walk away. And now I spend one to 3% of my time on it. And it works great. It's still operating in 38 states because I had to ask myself, well, is this still what you want to be putting your time and attention into? And to continue to ask myself that with every incarnation of where I am in my life. And so what is that today? How do you, when you, how do you answer that question? How does the Dara of today answer that question? How do you want to be spending your time? I want to be spending my time in the work environment on two particular things. One is on the coaching work. It's really important to me that more people feel like they have access to the tools around how to design their lives, build businesses or careers to fund that and networks to support that. And that happens for me both in one-on-one work as well as through an accelerator program and other group programs that I run. And then on the other side is through friendships that I generated over the past several years began to get really activated around our criminal, what I would call injustice system and had befriended some guys who had different sentences and different terms in prison, want a life sentence and learned so much of their stories and grew so much compassion and empathy for it that now I do work under an organization within Emory called Choose Common Good, where they do prison education, college level, but I'm helping them build out and doing myself uh, mentorship work for recently returning citizens from prison. And so those are two things that for me, if it doesn't fit into those buckets, then I have to ask, well, is this something that I want to say yes to or not? Yeah. And that's what, you know, um, and I want to talk about um, when you started sort of leaning into social in terms of sharing messages and the initial reception, because now it's, it, it seems like it's just on fire. Um, and, and, and I'll talk about that. But um, wh- where along the way did you um, start to say to yourself, what, what, what I'm doing needs to help others, um, maybe as much or more than it's helping myself, right? Like I can, I can, I can create a children's book that yeah, maybe it made money, maybe it didn't, but it's going to help families have conversations like this. It's going to help kids learn at an early age. But like, again, that thread that I see through everything you're doing is, is to help others, inspire others, maybe mentorship from afar, maybe directly coaching, but like, where does that come from? It's a funny question for me because I don't think there was ever a time where I thought I'm going to do that. It just was in my DNA. Although there was a time where it wasn't meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know how many people would share this, but I'm going to share it. So (laughs) back (laughs) back in the day, like middle school, high school, I think I did what a lot of people do when they don't know where to place their emotions. And I became kind of an asshole. Like I was not a, full-blown bully, but like, you could call me a bully. And I did it because I was raised in a really masculine environment where feminine emotions were considered weakness. And I decided that the best way to protect myself was to put other people down and get them first and, you know, have a really sarcastic 
tone about everything and just really create a huge wall to the point where my friends called me an emotional robot. Like I think it had been close to a decade that I cried around that age, which for an adolescent girl is insane. And I finally hit this point where I realized that one, there's so much strength and vulnerability. And two, like, why am I like hurt people hurt people? Like, why am I taking my hurt and vomiting it on other people and spreading all of this? And not to say like, I obviously had friends and I wasn't this way to everyone, but my mantra at the time, it's embarrassing to look back on was something like, if I'm not making fun of you, you should be concerned because then I don't care enough about you to get <laughs> attention in the first place. Oh, and no. it was just so backwards. And I finally hit a point through a lot of personal development work and uncovering of like what really was underneath for myself, just through reading and through friendships and through like people I could trust to open up to them that I was looking at it so backwards. And so really started to allow some of my like more feminine or something, I mean, more feminine in like a traditional like yin yang sense mm-hmm. emotions to come out and realize, oh, actually, there's so much more fruit here and so much more connection and depth when you live this way. And so for whatever, I don't know if there was like a moment in time, but for whatever reason at that moment around late high school, I just think there was no turning back where everything for me was about making sure that I was giving more than I took in any environment and that I would hopefully leave this world in my sphere better than I when I got here. That's fascinating. And you don't remember like a thing that happened, uh, a moment where you like reflected on yourself or you heard words coming out of your mouth and you're like, what am I saying? Not Nothing one, like but certainly like it was a period of time in high school. And then it just got to a point where I was like, huh, because I think I didn't actively look at it as who do I admire and what are they like? But I think I started seeing through the people whom I admired and respected that they weren't the way that I was and that I just knew that it was wrong. You know, I just, I just knew that. And then as I got older and when the grandmaster Adam Grant, who's now a friend and I adore his work, he wrote give and take. And I was like, aha, there is scientific evidence to this thing that I have known my whole life anecdotally that givers win as long as they're not martyrs. And that became this catalyzing thing for me where I was like, yes, like I even, I don't know if you know this, I even started a movement called Give It Forward to empower a million people to give to other people. So, and I don't mean like financially necessarily because we all have the power to give. It was yeah, I, what helping one person a day or yeah. commitment. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an ideally structure where for 30 days you commit to helping one person a day with zero strength attached. It's not about reciprocity. And that help can mean that you listen, that help can mean that you make a connection. It could mean that you offer a resource that you have, like, which is based on what that person needs. And it's also a really great tool to re-engage relationships to depth, to make more depth in your relationships and to just get happy. Like every time I feel down, I don't know about you, Jeff. I'm like, well, how do I get out of this rut? Immediately it's to do for someone else. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but most people who reflect and say, I'm acting like an asshole and, and they just stop being an asshole, hopefully. Not not many, but that when they do that, you took it past that though. And you sort of said, all right, uh, I want to give more than I take. I want to, um, you know, leave every place I touch better than before. And I just hope you recognize that that's unique, that, that most people don't do that. A lot of people talk about that and a lot of people share, you know, things, things that you write, but they're not doing as much. You, you're doing both. Um, and 
what I what I really um, respect about you is that you you uh, inspire a lot of people, and and I'm mostly seeing Instagram. I don't know if there's are there other channels, or is that your main? That's the primary one for sure. Okay. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm and and everybody I've pointed and, and shared like just loves your stuff, but I also know that there's substance behind it, which I think. I think is important. I think there's this echo chamber of all these inspirational things, but there's usually not something behind it. But when I've looked at the things that you're posting, I can tell that they're coming from something you believe, but something that you've been doing. So when did that start where you started posting or you started doing some of this stuff and did you get a reaction? Did you start, how did this happen? I have, I have a visual memory of this. It was exactly two and a half years ago that I posted this picture that I remember very vividly because it was very scary. And because I was also a very late adopter to Instagram. And I'm if I ever get on TikTok, I'm going to be a very late adopter to that too. Like I'm just not that person who wants to be that engaged with technology. (laughs) And so I was already late to the game. I had like maybe 1800 people paying attention because I had met them at some point. And I suddenly just realized I can't just use this to you know, excuse my language, like dick around. Like, I'm not going to be here. Just like post me at acro yoga and post me on all of my travels. It's cool. But like, that's not what I'm going to do here anymore. And I remember crafting this post and it said something like, I really appreciate you all even seeing this, but I just want you to know I'm taking an intentional next step. And intentional is like a drinking word in my life. I say it a lot and I live it a lot that everything has to come from intention I'm going to intentionally be shifting my content here to one that I feel like is value additive and not just like self-aggrandizing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a turning point where I just made the commitment and put my flag in the sand and said, that's what I'm going to do here on out. Now, but I, I know you wrote the children's book. Are you a writer? Cause you, you seem like you have a way with words and that you're a talented writer. Thank you. Yeah, communication has been something that I never thought was a skill that I had, meaning I think that most of us sleep on and take for granted the things that come naturally to us. And so writing and speaking have always been pretty natural for me. And also funny with my brother, like these were his huge, largest weaknesses, whereas he's a literal math genius. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine at that, but not great. And so for me, I just thought, oh, well, I guess like some people have this and some people don't. And same thing with connection. I've always just been a masterful connector. I see the world as a puzzle to put together and see that A and B can come together and make something exponential. And I didn't give that any real clout. I just thought, oh, whatever. But then I also remember a very specific time about a year after graduating from college where I thought, I used to really love writing. Like I, I, one exercise that I really think is helpful when someone gets stuck in their life and they think, well, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to become? That there's so many clues from our childhood. And so I went back and thought, what are the things that I just did for fun as a kid? And one of them was I would write chapter books for fun because why not? And I thought- Re- Rewrite no. book. No, write fresh books. Fresh. <laughs> And same thing when I wrote the kids book, it literally, I wrote a six book series in an hour. It just fell out of my brain. I had the entire image. It all came out. And so I remember looking up around age 23 and thought, what do I write these days aside from email? It's like, this is a muscle that is atrophying. So I thought, I'm just going to start a blog and commit myself to writing it. And please, no one look this up. It's embarrassing now. But it was called the betwixter, which was this word I made up about like betwixt and twixter, which sort of meant together one at a crossroads. And I thought I'm sort of at this quarter life moment. 
you know, there, there's this crossroads effect of people's lives are diverging in different ways and we're all trying to figure things out. And so I just started writing a few times a week and I was like, oh, writing is fun. Why did I stop doing this? And then from there, it snowballed. I suddenly got the attention. Entrepreneur Magazine was like, hey, you want to write for us? And then that turned into Forbes. And then that turned into the kids book. And then, you know, I'm working with a literary agent on what will eventually become another book. And then I started to fall in love with social media because I thought I can basically write like micro blogs and spit out what's in my brain. And that's a fun way for me to keep that activated. And you, um, your, your voice is certainly resonating with people, um, on Instagram in particular, was there a point where the engagement really started to grow more than you could believe or the, the, uh, follows like, was there a moment or did you just sort of gradually over the last couple of years? The moment I would have to tie to a collaboration I did for about six months with Deepak Chopra. <laughs> where yeah. And those videos are great. And I'll link to those in the show notes, but that, that stuff, that's great content. Yeah, so every week he was sharing me on his Instagram, which did not hurt. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got it. Um, okay. So um, if, as you think about, you, you may not have this answer because I, I can tell that you, um, react to the world as it comes to you and then and sort of make your decisions. But if you were to project out the next five, 10, 20 years, you're still in the house that you're you're getting with your fiance. Um, what do you want to be doing? What do you think you'll be doing? More of the same? You think you'll get to a, like, what do you think that'll be? I think that the essence of what I'm doing will be the same, but the embodiment will be different. And I, I hope that this is actually motivating for anyone who's listening because we often feel so stuck and encased in the decisions that we make. So we say, because I was raised to see everything through, never quit. I was told literally by my dad, quitters never win and winners never quit. And so I had that going in like a chorus in my mind forever and ever. And then I realized actually winners quit all the time. They strategically quit or what talk about business jargon, pivots and iterations and uh-huh. 2.0s and 3.0s. And I started to realize like, okay, so the, the through line for me is impact and it's connection and it's all the types of things we've talked about. Then as long as that works in whatever the embodiment of that is at the time, then fine. Like, you know, between me, you and your audience, I'm working on a television show right now that uplifts female entrepreneurs. It's, well, actually, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but <laughs> See, you'll have to come back. Yeah. Teaser alert. But that being said, like if that show gets greenlit, then suddenly I'm going to be the host of a television show. And while that wasn't something I would have predicted a year ago, it still fits squarely in with the mission. And and let me dig on that just for a second, because I'm really curious if there was an influence on you early on from an entrepreneurship perspective. Um, like, my father had his own vending company um, when I was growing up, right? And I used to run routes with him and stuff. I never thought I'd start a company. I just never even occurred to me. But in college, I did. And now as I look back, I'm like, well, yeah, because it was around me, right? I I saw it. I, I don't think I knew the word entrepreneur, but I knew you could start your own business. You're such an entrepreneur now, starting things you know, faster than, than maybe uh, I can even comprehend. Did that come from somewhere? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned your dad. Mine was my mom. Uh, she also was an entrepreneur. And similarly, I didn't know that word. She never used it. I had no idea what that was. When people started putting that word on me, I was like, huh? I thought entrepreneurs were like that other type of person. Like I never associated myself as that. 
And she had so many businesses from in the 90s when we lived in Philadelphia, a plus size clothing boutique when she was five foot two and 100 pounds to like, you know, all these different things. And I think in her own assessment, she'd say she was never successful at any of them, which gave me a really mixed bag of emotions around being a business owner. On the one hand, I admired her ability to keep recreating and redefining what she wanted and to keep stepping up to the plate, even when it never panned out how she thought it would. And on the other, I disrespected it, to be fully transparent. I just sort of felt like, well, if this is what entrepreneurship is, where every time you strike out, then like, why do I want to say yes to that? And, and yeah, so that was definitely my first experience and interaction with it. And interestingly enough, not only did my twin and I go into entrepreneurship, but my older brother left corporate America working in global marketing for Coke and started a now series D 70 plus million raised 400 person company. Yeah. You guys are a bunch of entrepreneurs. We all become entrepreneurs. So let me ask you this. Did you, let me ask it this way. How long did it take you to convince your brother to start the company with you? Opposite. I have to assume. Opposite? No, I was sure that you came to him and no. he came to you. So he was living in San Diego at the time and he actually started it with two different business partners. And my parents called me and they said, okay, you're kind of a screw up. Like <laughs> Nothing is going your way these days. We think you should look into this business that your brother is doing. And they were like, it's credit card processing. And I, I think my actual words to them were, do you know how sexy of businesses I've been working in, like fashion? Right. Do you really think I want to work? What, what even is credit card processing? That sounds so boring. And then I paused and I think I waited a couple of days. And then I called my brother and I was like, wait, so tell me about what this credit card processing thing is. <laughs> I flew out there and spent nine days shadowing and playing devil's advocate and figuring it out. And we ended up then going out on our own two months later after I came home and I called every single one of the 90 retailers who were my previous clients in the fashion world because I was a wholesaler. And so I had all these small business retail clients. And I said, what was your impression of your credit card processing company? And I kept hearing the same horror story over and over again. Everyone tells you one thing and does another. They tell you your rates this and really it's two times that. Then they, you didn't know you're locked into a contract and then they're not even in the business anymore and you can't get a hold of anyone. And I was like, wow, well, why is it all so like that? Like, how does this business survive? And I realized, oh, it's kind of like the phone business where they guys everything and smoke and mirrors and then make it so complicated you can't get out. <laughs> and yeah. there's gotta, again, there's got to be a better way. It's, people have to be treated better than this. So I said, okay, Garrett, that's my brother. Let's do this. And so we said, where everyone else is doing X, we're going to set up a brokerage. It had never been represented in that space before. We're going to take a model that works in insurance and other spaces, and we're going to apply it to this one because it, A, helps us. We don't need the infrastructure. And B, it creates a better outcome for everybody. And that's where it started. And he even wasn't even ever trying to sell me on it either. It wasn't that I came to him and said, let's start. And it wasn't that he said to me, mm-hmm. hey, let's go off on our own. He's he just, It's kind of like sales 101. I don't need you. So yeah. <laughs> let me know if you want in. <laughs> wow, I really, I really thought you'd be the oldest. I thought you would have been the one that started that. I'm, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> um, if I, I'll tell you my answer to this after you tell me yours. If there's one thing that you would hope for everybody, what, what would that one thing be? One man, tough one. Okay, the first thing that comes to mind is that when people, if we all have the great fortune of looking back at our lives before we go, that they can say that they played full out. 
that there is like, I'm not a believer in regret, but that I would imagine if there was a moment for it, it would be on that deathbed scenario where you're thinking like, well, did I really put myself out there? Did I really play full out? Did I use my gifts, skills and strengths to their highest and utmost ability? Did I leave this a better place than I found it? Did I play it safe? Did, was I, did I let my fears overcome what I knew was really best? Did I use my voice? Like all those types of things is in my version of playing full out. Mm, I love that. And playing full out, is that, is that a term I should know? Or is that the term you've sort of... Oh, I don't know. I think it comes from sports, a thing I didn't do much of. I was a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did a decent amount of sports and play full out. I, I don't know it, but maybe, no, maybe <laughs> I love it. Make that an Instagram thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the book title. Um, yeah. Mine is um, something else that you talk about a lot, which is um, I, I hope everyone can find their purpose uh, and, and live toward that. Like my, li- my life from age, call it 35 on um, 44 now uh, has been totally different since I found my personal purpose. Um, and so I'm like you, like, yes, I made a billion mistakes as a young entrepreneur and a young person, but really I don't regret anything because I learned from it and I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't gone through that. But I do wish I had found my purpose earlier because I think I could have continued to do more. So I'm, I'm making up for lost time. But I, but I think that's what I, when I give a talk almost on any topic, I try to end by five minutes on that for the people listening, just so that it even occurs to them because it didn't even occur to me as a young person to think about that. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm so impressed with you sort of found that early. Um, real early, I, th- I think. Well, I want to know one, what is your purpose, which you probably shared with your audience before. So apologies for missing that. But two, for anyone who feels overwhelmed by that idea, because to me, the idea of finding one's purpose feels like this Zelda quest that you're never going to find the end of. And also because, you know, it's sort of like values where a purpose can be a North Star, but it can also transmute. And I always look at it as like act with purpose and be about and on purpose, even if you don't know what your purpose is. So you can move with the intention in your actions, even if you don't know, like if you might know, okay, if I take step A, then let's see what happens. And then B and C, maybe you can see all the way to E or F, but maybe you can't see all the way to Z. And that's okay. I think where we get screwed up sometimes, or I'll speak for myself, where I historically got really screwed up was feeling like, if I don't know what the end goal is or where I'm going or what the outcome's going to be, then why or how am I supposed to start in the first place? Totally. And so part of that is the reverse engineering, which is the term you use that I also love around first design the life. Like what is it that you aspire to do and be and have then put on top of that, what it costs to live that so that you're not thinking, I just need $10 billion and I'm never going to get there. So why even start? No, it gives you a real tangible number to then reverse engineer the career of the business to say, okay, well, what is like, I did this very transparently again, when I was 23, I did or 25, I did this exercise and the number was $120,000. I was making like 37,000 at the time. So it felt like a chasm, but it wasn't a $10 million chasm. It was Mm -hmm. 90 something thousand dollars. And so I thought, okay, when I started my credit card processing company, each of our clients brought in an average of a $40 a month residual income. So I thought, okay, over X number of years, how many clients do we need to bring on at this average amount of revenue to then kick off to me my income and to get to that number? And I wanted to get there by 30. I think I got there at 27. And I was like, this is how you you figure out, like, okay, when I know what the why is and then the what and then the how. 
versus like if someone feels lost in the purpose part. Actually, on my website, this might be helpful for people. Go to dara.co, D-A-R-R-A-H.co slash freebies. There's several exercises on there around purpose. One is a guided visualization that will help you tap into some of your unconscious to understand some of these purpose-based questions. Another is an exercise I love called the nine questions to ask your network to help you find your path. And it is all about allowing the people who are close to you in different arenas of your life to mirror and reflect back to you parts of yourself that maybe you don't see or are taking for granted and looking for the patterns among many others. So for anyone who's feeling purpose, what the hell? Start there. I love that. That's awesome. I will definitely link to that. Um, Wait, you didn't okay. What's your purpose? <laughs> okay. My purpose is to have an outsized positive impact on the world. So I went through um, a program uh, that shed a light on the massive amount of privilege that I have as a human being that I really until 35 had blinders on. And that's on me. I should have been looking, but I just didn't see it. And once I saw it and I still have, you know, I probably see 10% of what privilege I have. It's in so many ways. Right. But like everything about me, other than I wasn't born rich, I have privilege. So from that point forward, I said, okay, I've benefited from a system that rewards me for the wrong reasons. So I have to make sure that the energy that I'm putting into things, whether it's starting nonprofits, whether it's a for-profit, whether it's writing a book, whatever has to go toward making the world a better place. And it has to be bigger than, uh, than me, because what I know how to do is build something and grow something similar to you. And so I need to have a bigger impact. Um, so that's mine. And that, that, you know, that is how I drive success now. So before it was like chasing accolades and selling businesses. And, and it was for all the outside people looking in to think that I had done well. Um, and I was like, what am I doing? Why am I chasing this? And so now, you know, I've never been more content and I just, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme for people, but I feel like if people can find that early or, or anytime or when they're 60, I think it just, gosh, it gives you such a sense of what you're doing makes a difference and you know where to put your time. So that's, that's sort of part of the mission I'm on. Yeah. Props to you. Cause you're right. Not only do some people get there later, but some never get there. So whenever we get there, that's our time. And we, like you said, we need the circumstances that led us to that point to help us better appreciate and move into that next phase. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Let me ask you this. A couple more questions. I got to know how you get stuff done. (laughs) I love, I love knowing about that about people, but especially people who are producing so much. So I'll throw a couple questions your way. What's your morning routine like? Uh, so I'm not a morning person. So uh, the earliest I typically wake up unless I'm jet lagged or something is 830. Okay. Not the norm. And I do the opposite of what everyone says. I immediately go on my phone. <laughs> and I read the New York Times like daily digest and I read the skim so I can get an idea of like what's going on in the world right now. And then three to four days a week, I post on Instagram and I pre-schedule it on Monday. So then I go and I post it if it's one of those days and I do some interacting and then I read and then I meditate and then I do a seven minute workout in my bedroom. Thanks, Jillian Michaels app and drink some water, pet my cat and move downstairs and start working. <laughs> what, what time is that when you emerge from the room? Usually between 10 and 1030. No coffee before that? I, Do you drink coffee? Never drank coffee before. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's one of the more impressive things you've said today. <laughs> Water. Um, wow, what are you reading? 
what kind of stuff do you read when you're in that process? It depends. I've been on a memoir kick. The last two I read were Alicia Keys' memoir and Trevor Noah's memoir. Both uh, Trevor Noah's uh, Born a Crime. Um, his was, yeah, Born a Crime, exactly. And Alicia Keys was, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was super good. <laughs> like, I want to be best friends with both of them now. Uh, but they're both really excellent. And then right now I'm reading a Wayne Dyer book just because I wanted to change it up. But typically my I, I read 99.9% nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm similar. Um, I will, I will, uh, throw a nod out to Trevor Noah's audio version of his book cause he reads it and he does the voices of him as a kid, his mom. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, um, sure. okay. So what about inbox zero? Please, please tell me you're an inbox zero person every day, <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> but you're not a morning person. So I'm, I'm continuing to be surprised. So yeah, you clean out the inbox. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things I'll leave in the, like I, I have everything forward to Gmail. So a couple things I'll leave in like the starred thing, if yeah. they're something I need to refer back to later and don't want it to get lost. But for the most part, there's zero to two emails in there, depending on what they are. Are you a snoozer with the email? Nope. You don't use the snooze function. I don't even know what that is. Oh yeah. And Gmail, you can like, so for instance, um, there's something I want to, someone sent me that I want to read on Saturday, like, cause I'm like, all right, Saturday morning I can have my cup of coffee and then I can read. So I'll, you can snooze, you hit snooze to Saturday morning and then it goes out of your inbox and comes back Saturday. Oh, well, you know what? That reminds me of my favorite productivity tool for email, which is Mixmax. Do you use this? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's going to change your life if you use it. M- what is it? M-A-X. I really need to be an ambassador for them if they have such a thing. Talk about it all the time. So Mixmax is basically like all the plugins for Chrome that you would have separately in one thing. So in the cases of what you're just talking about, there's the boomerang effect. So I can have something boomerang back if it was unread at whatever interval of time I want, or I can do the send later function, which is nice. It can give me my own email templates right from the dropdown of any new email window. So I have email templates for client onboarding, for no, like no thank you emails, for, you know, you name it, I, like a proposal. I have all of those templated. So I save time and just drop it right into it, customize it, send it off. It does email sequencing. So like after I have a networking event for Network Under 40, I want it to be more personal. So I'll drop in the hundreds of email addresses straight into Mixmax and a CSV send it, send out like a mail merge basically, and don't have to do it through ConvertKit or Flowdesk or, or MailChimp or anything else like that. Um, it's got custom signatures. Like it's got, oh, you can see when people read your email and how many times. Oh man, I love it. <laughs> it's so great. Cause it helps you really cater your follow-up expertly. That's great. All right. That's a terrific and tip. Free. There's an upgrade that I use, but a lot of good stuff for free. That's good. Okay. Um, what about note-taking? How do you do your note taking? Well, it depends. I like Evernote for lo- things I want for a long time, but I use Google Suite for everything. So, you know, all my coaching clients, I just have Google Doc for them. My entire businesses are run through Google Suite and everyone has file systems there. Okay. you Have you tried Google Keep? No. That's their note taking. It's like um, uh, lightweight Evernote. So I'm like you, I use Evernote for forever. It's like my forever brain. But then like, for instance, when I made notes about what I wanted to talk to you today, I just put it in keep because I could do it quick on my phone. It's there. And then it's sort of not in the way, but that's cool. Um, I just send myself a lot of emails. Like when I have an inspiration for something to post on Instagram, uh, right? it's a weekly email. I'll just send myself an email. Then it's in my inbox and I can put it where it goes later. Yeah. Any calendar tips? 
again, Google, I use Google Calendar for everything. I even make Google Calendar my CRM. I've gotten masterful at the way that I use the recurring task setting on Google Calendar so that I also use it to help me nurture my relationships. All right. That's interesting. Oh, and I color code everything. So I know at a quick scan what's for what and can dig into the thing based on almost like a bucketing. Yeah. So I do that as well with the color coding, sort of the the major areas of my life to make sure that am I spending enough time here or there. So Mm. that's a good tip. Um, And you meditate, which I, which I haven't, I cannot do. I've tried. I I cannot do it. Maybe try some, a different form of meditation. You wouldn't call meditation. Like a walking or an eating meditation or something like that, where you're just still with yourself, but or not still when you're walking, but you get what I mean. So, so run without listening to an audio book. Yeah, absolutely a meditation. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I need to do. Um, okay. Any message you want to leave to people as we round out here, anything specific you want to say or place you want to point them to? Whenever I get asked this, I just go with whatever comes to me first. Cause I just trust that there is some wisdom that one person <laughs> needs to hear when it drops in my mind. Okay. Let's see. Uh, two things just came to my mind. So the first one is you are your own biggest cheerleader and champion. Do not wait for other people in this world to give you permission or access to something like you need to be your biggest cheerleader in the first place. And what was the second one? Hmm. Maybe it didn't want to come out. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was, that was good enough for two. <laughs> that was good enough for two. No, um, I, it was, what's that? I know what the other one was. And it's ironic okay. when we're doing a platform like this, but it's that you have the answers that you're looking for mm. and that other people are there to help us, but they're not there to hamper us. So don't go around looking for concordance from so many other people that you get lost and you lose your own inner wisdom, which goes back to the meditation piece. The best way to reconnect with that is through stillness. Nice. All right. Uh, I just want to say, I find you incredibly inspirational. I appreciate what you're doing to help others to um, build businesses that are a force for good, which is a real passion of mine. Um, I look forward to continuing to watch your journey. I feel like you're just getting started. So thanks for doing this and thanks for everything you do. Likewise. Thank you, Jeff. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. 